all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Julie Kelso. She is a professor at Bond University, uh, specializing in philosophy, philosophy of religion, feminist philosophy, sexuality, and biblical studies and literature. So she's an incredibly smart lady, and uh, this was a very, very fun conversation. I was curious because I, uh, I don't know, man. I think I've been like put off by feminism which sounds fucking weird because I am a lady <laughs> and I should care. I do care, obviously. I care about like equality and people, you know, have an equal opportunity and shit. But um, I guess my experience with new age feminism has just been like, like crazy militant psychopaths that are really mad at men and the situation and just violent, scary people. And so, I don't know, feminism is kind of like a bad word to me somehow. And this is such a fun conversation because I'm talking to an actual real-life feminist who grew up actively working for a feminist or for sort of women's rights, I guess, in in rational and intellectual kind of way. Oh, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to know much. <laughs> so it was really good having her on here to kind of help. We basically just scratched the surface on many, many discussion points. And I think I'd like to get her back in here to see if we can talk specifically about one topic and see if we can really flush out an idea. Because I always tend to do this. I get too excited talking to somebody about many things and I never really get to drill down into the one thing with her. But uh, she has so much uh, interesting insights during this podcast. And it's really, really nice to talk to somebody with this kind of level of intelligence and thinking. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you are interested in any of the other stuff that she has got going on, she has a book called uh, Oh Mother, Where Art Thou? And you can look that up online. You can also just check out her research at uh, bond.com.au. Sorry, bond.edu.au. And her name is Julie Ann Kelso. So enough of me. We'll get straight into the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you want to support this podcast, you can. Please just like my pages on the internet so that I can be socially validated externally by the social media world. And uh, you can support the podcast for five bucks a month at patreon.com if that tickles your fancy. Have a great week. Welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. This part of this podcast is always awkward. And then yeah. I always do this. So I, we laugh about how awkward that moment just is. And then I s explain it to everybody that I've been talking to you for already a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And then now I have to pretend like it's the first time I've said hello. <laughs> so stupid. It's nice to meet you. Nice <laughs> yeah. to meet you again. How are you? I'm pretty well. I'm tired, but I'm all right. It's, You've been uh, lecturing all morning. Yeah. I only... I'm, I, They've got all of my lectures on two days a week. Mm. So when I tell my friends this, they think you can't possibly be tired. But I do five hours on Tuesday and three hours today. That's just the lecturing part of my job. Of course, yeah. there's a research part and a service part. 
Um, but lecturing is exhausting because you are working at Peak Talk, standing up there. Uh, even though it's stuff I know, mm. I have to be right there in the room because you get questions from students, you know, and really good questions often. Um, so it's it, you do run on adrenaline yeah, for three straight hours, you know. You're running on adrenaline and then you kind of fall. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, nope, but I'm all right. I'm all right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so cool. So what were you lecturing on today? Today I gave a lecture on Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon, the novel, mm. uh, read with Genesis 2 to 3 and the Book of Exodus. Oh, wow. So this is religion, <laughs> philosophy of religion here. No, this is a course called Great Narrative Literature, um, the oh. Bible and Contemporary Literature. So I'm oh, really okay. teaching students an intro to biblical studies, so biblical issues, but we're really looking at the biblical literature and how it's been influential um, for certain novelists. So, for example, next week we'll be doing John Steinbeck's East of Eden, mm. read with, of course, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, because it is a contemporary kind of updating of, um, of that story. Mm. And, in fact, to my knowledge, it's the only novel that includes the whole biblical text in it. So in Chapter 22, he has oh, wow. all of Genesis 4 there and they talk. the characters are talking about it as such a strange story and, you know, this and that. Yeah. So that's kind of more obvious, I guess. Uh, that's the way the course runs. So, yeah, that's a literature subject. Oh, that's a cool idea. Mm. So that's, I mean, we were talking about Young a little bit before. I mean, he's got that that idea about the archetypes, mm. that they're kind of, what's your take on that? Like, what? Do you, how do you feel about I don't that? like archetypes. You don't, yeah. I mean, I think... Well, universals, men love universals, male thinkers, they love it. Uh, and it's amazing how close to maleness most of the universals are, like the human baby, basically, or um, I don't know, I think it's too easy. I think humans are far more complex. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he wants to get at the root of, I guess, all of humanity, whereas I'd rather kind of look at different cultures and how different types of people emerge out of their cultures. Yeah. Not because of some almost ghost-like. Because it's almost like he's trying to draw a through line yeah. along humanity that mm. we all in various... And, and it, I think it's an interesting idea because it does tend to explain why certain characters exist mm -hmm. in totally isolated communities, but they are still playing the same roles, Yeah, you know, like the hero role, the beggar role, the joker sure. role. They're mm -hmm. all in, and all of our myths throughout time, throughout different cultures that mm -hmm. had never had any contact with each other still have these similar myths. Yeah. Like, where do you think that comes from? Yeah. I, it's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, uh, but we, I don't think we live in isolated communities, though, that people's... Don't, uh, haven't been aware of other peoples. So we know, for example, that, that Indian um, thinking has influenced Western thinking. Oh, yeah. It was for a long time thought that the Greeks influenced the Indians in their philosophy oh. until we realised that that was actually wrong. <laughs> the, the Indian sages had gone to um, Athens around the 3rd century. Oh, wow. Um, so, so cultures, different cultures, yeah, I think there's been more communication between cultures than we know about. Okay. Uh, he, you know, the idea of there being human nature is a tricky one. It's a tricky idea. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me that he's right. I mean, they're, they're, he's right and so are the Russian formalists, you know, that there are only eight stories or something. Right. Um, but is that because we're all ultimately the same deep down? That means we're kind of unchangeable. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's Sam Harris's whole idea. You know, did you read Free Will? No. 
No, it's a good book. It's a relatively short kind of um, essay, I guess, mm. on the concept of free will. What's mm-hmm. your stance on free will? Do we have free will? How do I have a stance on free will? It's um, yeah, I know that I know that the certain neuroscientists are saying that we don't that the brain kind of yeah, I like, don't know. It's the decision's already been made. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't. I think choice is a very difficult thing to claim to have. I think people think they have free choice all the time, yeah. but when you really analyse it, no. Even down, we we compare ourselves. As an example, we look at the way women in certain cultures are made to wear a veil, yeah, and we say we're free to choose our clothes. Well, yeah, we are. We won't get stoned to death if we don't wear high heels out to a nightclub. But really, do I have a free choice about right. that? I mean, I once wore flat shoes to a nightclub and people were commenting and looking <laughs> at me like, and because I'm, you know, I was a, a feminist in the 80s. We all wore flat shoes. Mm. I still wear flat shoes. I would very rarely wear high heels. But, but you know, the, the, the idea is that we live in a society where we're free to choose. Yeah. Um, are we? I you know. know. And, and, and are we free to choose even choosing flatter high heels? You know what I mean? Like where does that thought come from? And that's what's kind of so cool about mm. his idea in his book is that uh, you can't even choose the thought to choose mm-hmm. because where do your thoughts come from? Mm-hmm. You know, they just exist. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered about this, like, you know, like that you you chose to be a feminist during the 80s. Like this was something that resonated with you. And I always wonder, like, what is it about you that that resonated with you and not your sister or your neighbor? Or, or my girlfriends. Yeah I, yeah, I I know. I've thought about this a lot. I think I became, I didn't know it, but I became, I realized, let's say, something was up when I was about six years old. Because my gra- my brother's ten months younger than me, so we're Irish twins, and he, um, my grandfather had come home from a fishing trip with two hats, a captain's hat and a little helper's sailor hat or whatever, and of course he gave me the sailor hat and my brother the captain's hat, and I remember looking up at him saying, "Excuse me, Granddad, I'm the oldest. I get the captain's hat," and he went, "No, you're a girl. The boy gets the <gasps> oh, captain's wow. hat," yeah. and there's a photo of my brother and I, and I adore my brother, um, and I am thunderously angry <laughs> like this and to uh, I don't want to be a captain by the way I am quite I, I don't like our cultural obsession with leadership mm-hmm. that l- to be a leader is better than to be a good follower mm-hmm. um it's not for me but I don't like the fact that I've been told yeah. you don't even you know get to make that decision yeah because you're a girl yeah, yeah. So when I kind of in the 80s, we had to read at my school, we had to read My Brilliant Career, which is this really, um, I, and I teach it at Bond actually in my Australian literature course, uh, Sibylla Melvin, she's a, she rejects the idea of what a woman is supposed to be in her culture. She wants a life of the mind. She doesn't know what it's going to be. She thinks it's, she wants to be a writer, maybe an actress, uh, maybe an artist, something, and everybody is telling her, no, mm. you have to marry and have children and shut up because wow. she's really loud. And 14-year-old me was such a pain in the neck too that <laughs> yeah. I really loved her. Um, now I find her annoying but I, like, <laughs> I loved her when I was 14, um, you know, to f- actually finally read something where you've got a male character like that yeah. as a girl, yeah, uh, yeah, really yeah. eye-opening to me. And then I went and studied feminism and, you know, it, it just made sense to me mm. um, and it... It made sense to me because it really was saying value your dignity. 
yeah. and value your integrity as a person, as a woman. Yeah. Um, the problem, though, with feminism now is that women have been asked to become like men. Yeah, yes. I fucking cannot agree with you more. Yeah. You're right. Like all of the ideals of what you're talking about and those little, those tiny little moments, I completely agree with. And that, Mm. um, but I had never been a feminist. And in fact, I actually pushed the term away and Mm -hmm. have avoided Mm -hmm. even being involved in it. Mm -hmm. Like lots of women will talk to me like, oh my God, you're a fighter. You're strong. You know, oh, Mm -hmm. this is amazing. And I'm like, ah, no, I don't, none of that was even occurred in my head because Modern feminism is so sort of despicable and scary to me. Is it? Why? Well, what's, I, what, what's, what's scary about it? What's... I feel like, yes, it's become this masculine thing and really combative. It's like it's a denial of what is f- powerfully feminine and an embracing of a really masculine, aggressive, divisive, mm-hmm. um, domineering Mm-hmm. This, uh, may I respond? Sorry, yes, of course. To, I don't want to yeah. cut you off. Yes, I agree with that. But um, uh, I think about this a lot. I mean, meekness and mildness, right? The, the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. These are the virtues women were told to cultivate, mm-hmm. to try and, you know, be like her. And I, and I know why that's wrong because it's saying, you know, little petal, uh, you, you just be meek and mild and good and don't be scary at all mm. because we're, we're, men are actually terrified of women. They really are. So so we'll control you this way. Don't make a noise. And women had enough of that, have had enough of that. I mean, anger is a human emotion sure, yeah. and women have for centuries been taught to repress it. Right. And I think culturally that anger has just exploded <laughs> in the 20th and 21st century. Yeah. Um, but what's wrong with meek and mildness? Nothing. Mm. And if we are nothing, in fact, these are truly good virtues. Um, and we're living in a time where we might like to see some more meekness and mildness. Yeah. And if women the are the ones who've been told and cultivated it, well, maybe it's our time mm. to start directing things without having to imitate men. Right. It, it, it's so hard though, right? Well, because that's the thing, like that, because I... I don't personally feel meek when I feel feminine. Do you know? I would, no, no, my, no. My feminine nature, as far as I can, like if I feel, when I think about the virtues, is virtue the right word? Uh, like my own, when I have interpersonal experiences and I'm feeling very feminine but very good yeah. and settled and comfortable, I feel warm. Yeah. I feel uh, encouraging mm-hmm. and like... Uh, trustworthy mm-hmm. and that I have empathy, I have mm-hmm. care, I have respect for the person I'm listening to and humor. Mm-hmm. So all of those things, I'm capable of doing all that and be a woman. Absolutely. And I feel like that is our power. Yeah. We don't have the ego and the thing to prove the man to be a something. We yeah, have the that's ability. A problem in our culture. Yes. Yeah. Like we have the, this amazing ability to be adaptable and understand other people with a warmth and a kindness mm-hmm. that is not overshadowed by masculinity. And I think, and that is what I fear has kind of gone missing in this kind of new, new version of feminism because it's, well, and I don't, I think we're probably talking about other two different variations of feminism as well because one of them's kind of been hijacked by the Antifa, far left, militant, um, crazy shit that's going on, the crazy human rights activists that are like next level Mm -hmm. Tyranny, yeah. Tyranny, yeah. essentially. And then you have 
genuine human rights activists that are trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing here and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, equalize and trying to make things right. So I'm not talking about those people because I do feel like the general human rights activists are doing the right thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like this sensation that we have to constantly divide and separate, divide, judge, and separate. And yeah. I, I it's, can't, it's a, I don't think that's the right way forward. Of course not. It's a, a, a patriarchal method that dates back to at least to the Romans, divide and conquer. And isn't that ironic that yeah. they can't see that they're living inside their own patriarchy? To me, feminism, right, it begins with the idea of women's liberation and the, these brilliant minds of our foremothers analysed male culture, right, and showed how it was biased towards men, it's, they, you know, society had been designed by and for men mm. uh, and we were critical of that and then suddenly we imitated. Yeah, we Why do we... I thought we were, our job was supposed to be... supposed to be to dismantle it mm. so that we can rebuild it together, men and women together, yes. right? Um, not just replace society, <laughs> sorry. You're right. Um, with female rule. That's just you know, inverting what, what we yeah. already have and nothing would change. But listen, I do understand, though, I think we have to show some understanding to women because what is what are the choices? You know, we yeah. it, the, 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 it was the revolution we had to have, right? We had to get women out of the homes. You, we had to get economic autonomy, which meant getting jobs, mm. right? And to be successful in jobs or to keep jobs, you have to, you know, these are jobs... All jobs have been designed by and for men, basically, um, apart from traditional women's jobs, nursing, etc. Yeah. Um, Caring, nurturing. So in going, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. We, right. we should just pay them more. Right. Um, the, the problem, though, is we, in doing our jobs well, are just merely strengthening what has always already been valued, mm. right? Mm-hmm. This male kind of design yeah, designed okay. society, but we don't. We can't figure out what else to do. Well, is there it, is no answer. I at mean, the do you think the argument is that possibly it's bec- we have to get into the system by using the system to break the system from the inside out? Is that where the logic is? Y- yes, but the the thing is, you, you, I mean, you hear about the the glass ceiling, and women who've su- supposedly broken through the glass ceiling are often the worst. Right. Yes. Um, so we get into the system. And the men too, to be honest. Anyone oh, that is that's a That's a given. God. That's yeah. usually a given, although I have been very lucky in my life with beautiful men who've been my mentors and supporters. Oh, yeah, but that I recognise that is rare. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Women are fighting in the workforce, oh, you know, God. for recognition, for pay, even still. Um, so, you, you know, I, we get the theory is good. That we get in there, we get in there, we we get successful, then we start changing it. The problem is, it hasn't happened. Yeah, and, and, you, and you're probably onto a very good point right there. It's because the women that are getting through are men in sheep's clothing. Yeah, Ma- <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> nightmare. I mean, I I think it'd be an interesting project to look and see if we have ever in the history of the world. We know we've had women leaders, but have any of those women foregrounded what it means to be a woman yeah, in know. their leadership? The um, Jacinda Ardern, maybe starting to do that with okay. her breastfeeding in, you know, in um, wherever she was in the. I don't know who that is. Oh, she's the the prime minister of New Zealand. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Yeah, no, no, okay. no. Yeah, yeah. You you would know who she is. <laughs> you Definitely. Know. No, you would know. <laughs> um, maybe we're changing, but you know the the. The women we have in Parliament 
aren't, you know, our first female... Pauline Hanson? Well, let's not even go oh there. Oh, my God. But the first female Prime Minister, one of the first things she did was um, decrease the single mother's pension. Do you know what? I wonder about this, like that psychology of that. Do you think that there is a possibility that there's a disassociation of shame of being a woman that that kind of drives those unconscious programs? Because, like, she's trying to appear, like, that you have to muscle your way up into the man's world, be the man, the man politician or whatever, mm. and then distance yourself from women's issues because... To show them that you can, you too you, yeah, can, you know... Do man's business. Do, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how... I don't really want to analyse Julia Gillard that deeply, <laughs> but um, yeah. it just, it, you, know, you know, it's... We think we have equality. Mm. Uh, we are a long way from it. Okay. And and my feminism, so you want to talk about different types of feminisms. Yes. I mean, you know, my feminism is certainly not the girl power feminism or Beyonce feminism, you know, where oh, you, you've got feminism up in lights. Live your truth. While you're standing in your undies, you know, <laughs> glittery undies on stage. Um, but I'm, she's so brave. Oh, she's, <laughs> oh, she is so brave. She's so rich <laughs> is what she is. Um, no, I'm a difference feminist. So this comes out of the French... Uh, philosophical tradition okay. of um, acknowledging that women are different. Women yes. and men are different. Why? Because we have different bodies that do different things at base, right? That's a fundamental thing. Mm. About brains, and I'm not saying we are uh, biologically determined, therefore, like, you know, the patriarchal idea par excellence is that a woman must be a mother because she's got a womb. Mm. No, I'm not saying that. But we do. But you do have the option. We, we do live differently. <laughs> yeah. I, like little boys aren't worried about bleeding on their white tennis skirt. Right. You, you know. So we have to acknowledge that there are different. That we are different. Uh, men generally are stronger than us. Yes. Um, and we, you know, all of our teaching in feminism. When I say that out loud, I kind of even cringe myself because I can hear the voice. In the, but women can be just as strong. Okay, they might have to take some hormones though, or yeah. or, or this or that. Some women can be stronger than some, some men. men. That's, That's right. It. But the majority of men are stronger than us. Yes. Um, they can't have give birth. Right. Sorry, fellas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you you know we we do have different kind of modes of comportment to the world because yeah. we have different bodies. The problem is our society, as I said, even our architecture out and just you know urban design has been designed for men mm. apart from the suburbs the women and children ghettos right that's what the suburbs originally were for oh, wow. just to keep the women and children out of the men's space in the city where the real work gets done wow um, that's interesting yeah so you, you know i'm not saying that we should re- re- the last thing i would say is revert back to that kind of patriarchal 1950s nuclear family model yeah. um, where the man goes off to work and, and the woman, you know, is at home taking shitloads of Valium <laughs> to get her through the day. Um, but that we, if we want to think about change seriously, we have to acknowledge that men and w- women are different and equal mm. and that we now need to start saying, actually, I don't like, for example, the yearly calendar of work. It doesn't fit in with the fact that I have to look after a child or, mm. you know, that we have children. That that calendar works for the functioning bachelor, right? right. Single people, men and women, but also uh, people who have a family and children but someone at home who can look after, do the, do the childcare, 
right? Um, We shouldn't be um, excluded from work, particularly if it's work that is meaningful to us and, you know, contributing to our Mm. sense of self. We shouldn't be excluded because there are children in the world. The problem is the way society has been designed, including... um, as I'm saying, the calendar year. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. Yeah, I would have never even thought of that, but that does make sense. And they, the problem too, there's a knock-on effect because there are children that don't have parents. Mm-hmm. And then those kids are growing up and contributing and you're getting lost in the fucking mires of chaos and drugs and bullshit. Oh, right, yeah, the latchkey kids, you mean. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. like, because you, if you have to make that choice, and especially, I mean, when I know my family growing up, my both of my parents had to work all the time mm-hmm. because we didn't survive without mm-hmm. the money. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you spend a lot of time on your own, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of room for fucking up. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is, a, yeah, it is a problem. Um so where's the idea of community then coming into this, you know? Yeah. The nuclear family with the with suburbs, with the fences, you know, it's – that participates in the problem yeah. as well. It's not just mum's not home, right? It's that we don't have real, genuine community. Yeah, mm. yeah. And what do you think that stems from? Like why do you think we've gone Capitalism. away Capitalism. From... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, the – it's um, when you look at how people live and in a nuclear family, like you've got to have a fridge and a washing machine. You're not sharing, mm. right? Um, whereas if we had a, a kind of different arrangement, I'm not going to the, um, what are they called, um, commune model, but, you know, we could, if we could think of something else, we, yeah. we wouldn't, but it couldn't sustain the economy, right? We're supposed to all be consuming. And so if you only need to buy one washing machine instead of five... Right. Um, that's not how capitalism works. And so it's really, I think, all worked in... It's economic reasons um, kind of backing up ideological ones or vice versa. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's a chicken and an egg kind of Mm. thing, really, isn't it? Because I was going to say, when do you think... Because we weren't always like this. We did have bigger family groups and obviously certain most indigenous communities mm-hmm. and even still in New Zealand, there is a mm-hmm. big, big focus on family-raised families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, like, at what point did we start to disassociate? When, you know, is it industrial revolution? Yeah. Is it agriculture? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I <sighs> The rise of, of materialism mm. is going to be probably when we see it. And is that materialism like aristocracies, like in general, like what mm. back in monarch times where people, some haves and no, and lots of have-nots? Um, or do you think we had a better sense of community then still? Look, I mean, in all cultures it seems that the poorer people, particularly for women, the poorer women actually have more community, mm. right? Uh, because they're f- of their freedoms, whereas the aristocracy, say in India, the the upper caste uh, women are res- are seriously restricted in their movements. Wow. Um, whereas the the lower castes or the peasants or whatever are out the market, you know, they they, yeah, they have yeah. their communities. Um, huh. I think that you know the the rise of the suburb as well, uh, the suburbs where we kind of... Tim Winton, the Australian writer, his mm. novel Cloud Street is all about this, right? It's a sort of um, where we, we we lose contact with each other and we just retreat into our own little mm. 
family unit, this is liberalism too, you know, um, that it's me and mine yeah. only. That I, it's the cult of the individual. So it's me, but it's also mine because I own them. Yes. Um, that I'm going to look after. The rest of you are on your own. Yeah. You know, uh, fortunately, it's, it's, um, we do see people helping each other. I don't know if you remember um, the 2011 floods up in Brisbane, mm-hmm. the Mud Army or whatever. We were talking ourselves up so much, though, about how people <laughs> will come out yeah. and help. I thought, why does it take a disaster? Right. Oh, I know. You know? Uh-huh. what? It, it's interesting, man. And I think uh, most of it, I think, is usually because we are all operating at a core level of dissatisfaction and confusion most of the time. And alienation, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Young had this idea, and this is probably not one that sort of resonates with you, but um, and Nietzsche, they both had the same kind of common idea that we have lost myth which has resulted in a lack of meaning. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if we don't have a core kind of story of our existence or of our purpose or whatever, then we all tend... And, and I think that this is something I was talking about on a recent podcast, that I think we have an attachment to our self and our own self... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like self-advancement, yeah. you know, self-protection. Mm-hmm because we don't have anything other greater to latch on to. And I'm not saying at all that people should like go to church. No. I don't think that that's the solution because that's mm. just latching on to like a greater body of self, a, mm. another bigger idol. You know, you can be the idol of the self and be the fucking Instagram insta- influencer like taking... <laughs> How do you get that job, by the way? Oh, that seems God. to pay so well. I think I'd need a lot of surgery. Yeah, you just need a lot of filters. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, so that's like this is the church of me. Yeah. And and then there's the church of God or mm-hmm. church of Jesus, I should say, that was like, here's your idol you need to mm-hmm. pay attention to and give us money or whatever. So these are all externalizing ideas of worth that mm-hmm. cannot be found inside your own self. And now there's this, you know, the Beyonce feminist, exactly as you say, like, no, but you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, bring out mm-hmm. your own light. <laughs> and it's like, ah. Turn off that light. Yeah, like all enough that, of the light. That shit is all fucked too. You yeah. know that, that it's, it's not feminism, by the way. It's no. not. It's a, a really a gross misunderstanding. Mm. I mean, feminism is a complicated political philosophy. Yeah. And this superficial bullshit, like, oh, I can do whatever I want. That's what feminism gives me. Yeah. Well, actually, you live with others. You can't just go and do whatever you want and expect everyone to agree with you. Right. Um, it's not and empowering. And you're personally offended if they don't. Oh, too bad. You'll live. Right. You know, um, wrapping your reg- leg around a pole is not empowering in your in your, your G-banger. No. It's not empowering. You know, getting an education and thinking carefully and clearly about things so that you can move forward in a, in a new way is empowering. Right. Education well, is empowering. Yeah, and so it's like it's not it's not be the light. It's like... Be the experience of the absence of a self. Be the experience of an idea. You know, like the idea. Sounding I- very Buddhist. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously, tons of my ideas do come from that. I, from most of the mental health issues that I've had in my life and uh, drugs, drinking, shit problems, mm. uh, a lot of what took me out of that was. I actually, I saw a hypnotherapist Mm -hmm. was the very first person. She helped me with a fear of flying Mm because I was taking Valium like constantly. Mm -hmm. And I realized like I can't live like this just Mm -hmm. in a murky state of disconnection. 
Uh, I need to fix it without having to take drugs all the time. So I went to see a hypnotherapist to deal with that. And she was a Buddhist lady, mm-hmm. like a grandma. And she just, I went to see her and she was just this like open, empty container of love. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's hard mm-hmm. to describe it because it seems corny, but it was like she mm. she was never trying to force anything, get money out of nothing. She was just like one of these authentically helpful people. A genuinely religious person. Yes. Yeah, I, I used to work with um, a Buddhist monk at Bond. She taught... Oh, um, cool. She was Canadian, uh, educated at Stanford, but she had the robes, you know, she was mm. a, a bona fide Buddhist monk. And I could tell her anything. I just adored her. Like I could oh, sit with wow. her and tell her about how much I drank on the weekend and, you know, oh, I did something stupid. And she would just sit there and smile. Yep. No judgment. Yes. No, oh, you need to think about your, you know, what you're doing. It was just. Yeah, the heaven and hell bullshit. Oh, that. well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and oh, that's funny. You yeah. know, just delightful. It's delightful people to be around. Actually. And it's because I think and what's what's lovely about it is that she more or less like took my attention from me seeking gratification from the external world to deal with all of the chaos inside me Mm. and said, it's not scary in here. Mm -hmm. You're running from chaos inside you that seems frightening, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you how to look at it Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't make you feel afraid. Mm -hmm. And then slowly over time, and talking to her and reading and then practicing little silly meditations. Everyone like, am I even yeah. doing this right? Am I not? Whatever. It didn't matter. And it was, it, again, another r- nice thing is that it's just the amount of my own personal time and my own quiet space that I put into this, I notice reward. Mm-hmm. And just by doing that, like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so this is in my control more or less. Like mm-hmm. I can experience chaos and fear or I can turn my attention inward and try to Turn off the thoughts. Yeah, mm. just relax the thoughts a little bit. And mm-hmm. and so that's, I guess, where this kind of my new uh, philosophy on life is this whole idea of trying to become the absence of a self and seeking better communication. Mm-hmm. All the time, whenever I'm communicating with somebody and I feel like I need to be a something, it immediately detracts from the experience, you know? Yeah. You, what you're actually talking about is something I want to write about, and that is the cultivation of listening. Yes, because I think, you know, we're always going on about, um, we're always measuring who gets so much time to speak. So, Mm -hmm. you know, women are angry because they've been talked over or men have always gotten more time to speak. And and I think, but there's so much talking now and there's so little that's being said. Maybe we should all just shut up for a bit Mm -hmm. and just learn how to listen and, but to really listen properly, to be open to the mystery of another person Mm. is a form of listening that we don't really cultivate in the West, mm. we just are listening for validation of something we already know, yes. not something that's yet to be or, you know, a new tomorrow yeah. um, that can come from the mystery of another person. We just we feel we already know what they're saying. Mm. Um, and I think, people, I think people even speak that way now because it's safer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, do you think that that comes from an insecurity? Like, because, yeah. yeah, the only time I ever reject an idea is because it um, frightens me. Oh, like, that, that I'm not sure if it's so true and I don't want to face that that's true. Uh-huh. Like, those are always the times where I start to get, like, no. or bigotry. I mean, you don't, nobody wants to, like, I'm not, mm. how do you listen to a bigot? Well, Geez, it would take a, a, a oh, big yeah. person, right, to to sort of say, okay, I hear where you're coming from. 
Yeah, it um, is. That is really fucking tough. Yeah. There's a great, um, is it Bill Burr's special? It's either, yeah, it is. Bill Burr just put out a new brand new special called Paper Tiger on um, Netflix. Oh, right, yeah. He's one of my favorite comedians. Yeah. He's, um, there's mixed, angry, he's another angry man. <laughs> he is another angry man. He's a very angry man. He's very funny, though. He's so funny. And mm. he, he's self-aware enough to know that he's a maniac. And I think yeah, that, yeah. that's, you know, like you 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 could put the um, feminist lens on and watch Bill Burr and just go, he's the, man, he's the woman hater. He's the yeah, misogynist. It's, it's yeah. so easy, it's, you know. It's such yeah. an easy. It is. That's it's not such listening. An easy, you don't have to. That's yeah, not listening. Exactly. Yeah. That is not listening. They mm. use the, whatever language he uses, you just immediately go, no, he's a misogynist. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. You are not thinking mm. you're just judging mm-hmm. but he yeah he has a bit where a girl a lady like walked off stage and just flicked him in the dick <laughs> <laughs> and he was like what the fuck yeah um actually yeah like you, you can't do i that. can't touch you and you can't touch me right and so he goes into this whole big story and it's a long ongoing bit and at the end he just uh says he sits down and meditates and envisions her with like a drunk dad who like got so drunk that he fell into the pool and she couldn't save him. He tells this whole story. Oh, right, right. And it's the concept that he's getting to, like this is why you love Bill Burr. Mm. It's like, yeah, you know that this person's fucked mm. and it's not okay that what she did is 100% not okay. But mm. at the same mm. time, you're carrying this anger around for no reason. You're the one that's suffering when really whatever her life experience has just been. Yeah, to make her stand up, walk past you and flick you in the dick. Yeah, like yeah, that, what a crazy psycho. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, and it's like you don't have to carry anger about that. You just no, look you at just it and go, feel... yeah, you're, mm. you got problems. Yep. Yeah. Pity. And, mm. Yeah, and, and it's, it's such an interesting thing because – no matter where we are, like this person that I am right now is a, an amalgamation of 33 years mm-hmm. of whatever the fuck I've attached to. Mm-hmm. And it's and this, I guess my idea is the better I can be about not attaching to any need to be any of those things and experiencing with the experiencing the input at hand. Mm-hmm. The more options I have for learning something new and mm-hmm. the more options I have to making a better connection with somebody or mm-hmm. an idea. How is that going to relate, though, to comedy? Because when I think oh, yeah. of com- <laughs> comedy, you know, that, that it, it's such an, a romantic idea, I know, but, it, you know, that it comes from a dark place. And so many comedians say, nah, I had a great childhood. Yeah. Um, but if, you're, if you are getting yourself to a position where you're eradicating the self and the attachments, how are you going to be funny? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I ask myself that every day. Um, no, I'm better. I am definitely better. The more need I have to be a somebody on stage, the worse mm-hmm. I perform. Yeah. Like if I feel like I need to impress somebody, uh, like if there's bookers there that are going to book me for another show or mm-hmm. uh, any of that stuff, I clam up. I, I'm like, I'll be cool, be good, be, you know, ugh. all of that feels really gross. But um, like last night, for example, I had a really great show and it was because something clicked in me. I know kind of what it is, but you know, there's something nice that's given me calm and peace Mm -hmm. and, and that I don't need to impress. I don't need to work hard for anything. Mm -hmm. I just need to connect to my idea and connect to the crowd. Enjoy yourself. Yes. And, and Mm. that's exactly it. Like you finally kind of give yourself permission to Mm. relax. And Mm. this only has actually come from doing hard work on the ideas. Mm -hmm. So I know, and, and I've learned this from fighting. I know that if I show up to training every day and work my ass off, I will fight well. Mm-hmm. If I take a shortcut, 
I'm going to lose mm-hmm. or I'm going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So I've taken that exact same mentality uh, with comedy is that if I sit down and really think the idea through and work on it and know mm-hmm. that I've done my time on it, yep. put lock it into my head, think around it in a bunch of different ways. Yep. When it comes out of me, it's going to come out of me the best way. It's going to come out good. Yeah, Yeah. the best way possible. And I have Mm. had sets where I didn't prepare and I felt like a piece of shit, for sure. But that's everything. I mean, that's, you know, if I'm giving a paper at a conference, Mm. if I have, I know I've done the work, I know more about this topic than anyone else in the room, but my job is to get people interested, Mm. right? If I haven't done the work, and actually I, I would never go to a conference if I hadn't done the work, there's no point. Because you just end up looking like a fool, right. trying hard yes, trying to impress, hard. Yes. but you've got nothing to, to offer. Uh, so don't bother. Yeah, those are like mm. my most shameful moments. Anytime I feel like I'm trying too hard, I feel so ashamed of myself. Like I can do, I'm not ashamed of all the weird shit that I get up to, but I'm terribly ashamed of trying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I try to be cool, I'm like, I, I can't But you're only 33 moments. and I can tell you, I'm 49, I can tell you that probably mid-30s, Mid to late thirties is when I I just went. I don't have to care anymore. Oh, nice! Because I'd done a lot of work. Yeah. Right. Um. And then I didn't get my first full time job till I was forty. Yeah. Wow. You know, I went to uni for sixteen years, and then it took a long time to get a, a full time job. I was working sessionally all those years. Mm. Um, but I and I used to have terrible anxiety. You know. Uh, particularly giving papers, just, mm. oh, mm. I'm going to sound like an idiot, an idiot. But after a while, and by my, as I said, mid to late 30s, I just thought, you know what, I've worked hard all this. I have a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And um, it's not about, you know, showing off. It's actually about the joy of talking to other people about stuff you're really interested yes, in. Yes, man, it's the yeah. communication of an idea. Mm. And I think, and like that is where ideally I'm trying to go with comedy is that like if I can in an entertaining and fun way connect to the people I'm talking to and plant a few ideas in their heads yeah yeah like that's my goal so I think if but if I'm a self I'm not the idea and so I need the idea to speak for itself I need the ideas to be big enough to go yeah but which it sounds lofty when you actually listen to my stand-up, because right now, literally, I'm just talking about fingering my own asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, like, oh, real lofty, Lorna. You're going to change the world with your comedy. Like, I will eventually. Does, does a no self have an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great philosophical question. Can you find the asshole if does you can't Jesus find Does Jesus have an asshole? <laughs> That's a, an old theological question. Yeah. Does he? <laughs> no. Do, what's the answer? Of course not. No. <laughs> of course he does. Of course not. Yeah, imagine just Jesus taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> or having a wank. Oh, stop it. <laughs> he must have. <laughs> he must have at some point. Yeah. Anyways. Or unless he didn't have a dick. Like maybe he just did. It was just a, like a candle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like that's the idea. So I think... I think comedy and art in general are moving further away from the self. I think comedy, because um, I watch old comedians, and I think they've got there are some great values that they've done and built in comedy. But I just feel like what's r- resonating more with people in the world is this. Uh, I get authenticity has gone to be a kind of a gross catchphrase these days, but it's more like originality. Yeah, in terms of. So, so, you know, when Jerry Seinfeld hit the scene and became famous, comedians started imitating him. Yeah. You know, what's, what's with the such and such? Yeah, you know, yeah, what's yeah. that about? 
Um, but they're not the comedians who make it. Right. The ones who hit the scene, like Seinfeld, with something that is just so their personality. This is why I'm kind of not really understanding what you're talking about because when I think of the self, I think the Seinfeldian self, yes, right, it's, it's a particular thing built, and yeah. it's his. Well, okay, I guess. Built from other I mean, he didn't, you know, come out of nowhere. He had his, yeah, his comedians he listened to when he was young. And, mm-hmm. and you know, he's, he de- but he developed something original. Uh, what's her name? Amy Schumer. Like so many female comedians are imitating her at the moment. Yeah. And I, I went to one a couple of weeks ago. She was funny. But every time she did that, the, you know, oh, that's all funny, Amy Schumer, you know, kind yeah. of thing. I just went, don't do that. That's yeah. Schumer. And it's so obvious to us that oh. that's what you're doing. Um so I think... Yeah, it becomes like uh, kitsch. It, it becomes kitsch and it distracts from actually the talent you have. Yeah, so I guess what I'm getting at, and I don't know... I actually probably don't know how to do it uh, yet, but this is, I guess, what I'm working on, is that um, I clearly have a sense a personality that experiences reality that you experience when you talk to me. Hmm. My idea is that I don't want to have an attachment to what that personality is because I don't want that to become a character. So if all the time, uh, if I am using my experience of the now to experience whatever's happening right now and try not to react in any uh, predetermined way, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yes, exactly. I guess um, not consciously. Yeah. So l- allow myself to just kind of, um, yeah, fuck, it's a hard thing to describe. I think what you're it? trying to say is you, you just want to be yourself. Yes, be myself but like be my absence of self because I think when I say be myself, myself feels like it's a definition of a collection of things I should be and I don't feel as free in being able to move and change if I... Okay. So, yeah, you, you are talking about an authentic self. Um, yeah, authentic self. Yeah, but that word has become a bit dirty these days because it seems well, like philosophically, the Instagram... I mean, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's like the word journey. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just on this path right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... I mean, f- some philosophers would say there's no such thing as an authentic self. We are constantly in the process of becoming... Right. Changing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But then how do we explain differing personalities? Of course there's something there um, that makes us unique. Mm. So so what I think you're trying to say is you don't want to be an imitator. Yes. Right? And these other things that you talk, like, oh, I need to do this this way. That person's really good because they do it this way. Forget all of that and enjoy watching them. So how do I just kind of go, fuck it, I'm going to be me on stage. Yes. And you're sort of saying, uh, well, you're calling this the absence of self, whereas I want to say this is the fullness of self. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that maybe I, that's probably a better way to describe it because you do have to be a self because I can't yeah. be a nothing. You'd be boring. Yes, it would be too boring. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> you'd right. be one of those, um, um, you know, you'd have to have incense on the stage and you'd be one of those really annoying, a lot of yoga teachers, let's say. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, namaste. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. And mm. I certainly am not that. And that to me is fake, right? That's why right. I, I can't do yoga because I can't stand the fakeness of this Western in, interpretation of a very complicated Eastern philosophy. Right. Right. And, and everyone's there just to get themselves a small bum. 
yeah. or something and then they go namaste mm. at the end like they're spiritual. Yeah, like they've really transcended. Yeah, they're, they're really <laughs> spiritual. I'm not religious but I'm spiritual. No, you're not. You're <laughs> just a capitalist like the rest of us. <laughs> so, I know. It is. I'm, yeah, it's hard to take it seriously. And, mm. I yeah, it's, you, I get scared like working at thinking about these ideas because I get worried that I'm I'm – you know, like buying into some bullshit, but I think I'm not capable of buying into bullshit. And I think maybe that's the thing that sort of is helpful about it is understanding your own fallibility and your own nonsense. Mm-hmm. And like that I am a hundred percent capable of being a fuckwit. Yeah. So it's like my daily practice is not necessarily, uh, cleansing myself, but like just acknowledging all the fuckwitness <laughs> and like trying daily to make less fuckwit decisions sure. every once in a while. Yeah. Like yeah. if that's possible. But the, it's not possible to be um, uh, 100% not a fuckwit. Right. So yeah. forget that goal. That's, <laughs> that's impossible. We all are. I mean, you know, we're, we're just, we're, people just don't seem capable of reflection though. Uh, yes. Self-reflection. And why do you think that's so hard? Because we live in such a superficial society, I think it's gotten worse. It's, it's all just veneer. Yeah, and so it's yes, hard to kind of yeah, get yeah. Into, into some sort of depth when everything's so veneer-like. Yeah, and um, we accept it that way. But the good thing is about, you know, Socrates said, know thyself. The good thing about it is you, you do realise that you are imperfect mm-hmm. um, and that, that's fine. You, yeah. you know, like when I was younger, I wouldn't even like to wear togs. Um, to the beach, even though I was like a size 10 yeah. back in the day, um, because I thought, oh, my God, people will see I'm not perfect. Nobody thought I was perfect. But you, you see how we project, you know, oh, yeah. onto others. Now I could not care. Nobody could stop me having fun at the beach. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. I, I, nobody. Um, so you give up, when you give up on this idea of perfection or, and you realise you went by doing some work, looking deep inside, I, okay, I can be really arrogant. You know, it's a, it's a, a pitfall of the job of yeah. being an academic. We can be unbelievably arrogant yeah. and annoying, um, particularly if we're having a few drinks, you oh know. God. We're, yeah. we're smarter than everybody. Shut up. Yeah. You yeah. are not. Just because you read some books. You read lots and lots of books. <laughs> you, you know, you do know a lot more than a lot of people, but nobody cares. Right. They don't care. Yeah, and it's not impressive, you know, like, and I think that that's the other thing uh, that grosses me out is, is anytime you feel like you've got an attachment to needing to be a thing um, and then showing other people your thing. Just one thing, yeah. Yeah, Mm. like, oh, see the things I do, I'm a this thing. And it's just kind of an embarrassing thing because it it detracts, yeah, it's like you're not dealing with a person at hand, you're dealing with a a memory of who you think you are, should be or whatever and vice versa. Yeah, you're you're casting an image of yourself that you like. Yeah, it's like a a hologram sitting in front of you all the time that you're just like putting out like this. And it's like the filter, it's like selfie, Mm -hmm. the Snapchat filter selfie that you're putting over the top of it. Like I was wondering why I'm so aggressively mad at them. Like every fucking podcast, I feel bad for the people that listen to this podcast (laughs) weekly because they're like, we get it, Lorna, you hate them. But like... I personally think the more we accept that that's okay, the more we're willing to accept that any bullshit is okay. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I know I've talked about this a bunch before, but I am actually curious to hear your take on this because there was a Nike ad that was getting around on Facebook uh, maybe six months ago or something. And because I operate in the world of martial arts and a lot of people that are trying to change their lives and be stronger and be fitter or whatever, mm-hmm. and women in martial arts... Uh, 
because I happen to be one of the teachers, they think that I'm like, go women, be strong. Mm. Mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> like we can do anything. And mm. so um, a couple of the girls from the gym tagged me in this ad. So I kept seeing it. It kept like coming back because they were like, Lauren is going to appreciate this. She's a woman fighter. And it was an ad that Nike, giant fucking mm. corporation that mm. fucking ruined a bunch of people's lives and mm, continues mm. to do so daily. Uh is saying that women are strong and beautiful. And, and they're like all these pictures of oh, athletic yeah. women mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Oh, be you, be your strong. Yeah, they're and, trying to sell you something. Right. Mm. So it's like if if I can accept that someone can put a Snapchat filter on their picture. And then, and then that's real. And, and, and we all clearly see it's not, but then mm-hmm. we all pretend like it is yeah, and write yeah. comments mm-hmm. and you're a babe. If I can accept that, then I can accept that Nike – is destroying lives and the environment constantly, making mm-hmm. a huge amount of money on a very large group of people's tiny pittance. You know, yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. these people are suffering so that we can have a pair of shoes, mm-hmm. but you can sell me that ad and I'm going to buy them because you yeah. understand women. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah, no, not only do you understand women, you support them. Right. Yeah. While you exploit them. Yeah. Like the Gillette ad. Were you around? Did you? See that thing? The lady... Uh, it was No, it's a man's Gillette ad saying like... I, I can't even really remember what happened, but it was an ad... Oh, yeah, about um uh, About toxic, toxic masculinity. masculinity. Yeah, yeah, I remember, yes. yeah. Mm. Fuck. Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to buy your razors. Yeah, I know. It's... It's it's, it's sickening men. But, but, the, but the problem is that people... Why do people buy this? Right! So that is my question to you, mm. is what the fuck is going on? We mm. all know it's mm. bullshit. I don't think they do. I don't think a lot of people could th- think about this. I think we live in a bubble mm. okay. <laughs> where, you know, we're educated and we're critical and we think about our world. I think a lot of the vast majority don't. Yeah. I know that sounds snobby, but how did we get, you know, how did Pauline Hansen get voted? Yeah. In. How did Donald Trump get voted in? You know, people just buy slogans. Yeah, there's that. With Donald Trump, I think it was a little bit more complicated than that because, and, and this is oh, interesting. I know it is, yeah. They're, they're, you know, people in Michigan, uh, you know, if you're being told you're going to have jobs, of course you want that person. Well, but I almost think, I think it was also a disassociation from the status quo that Hillary Clinton yeah, represented yeah. yet yep. again another like Dynasty. old fuddy-duddy, mm. yeah, bullshit. And mm. and my mom and I get into constant arguments about this because she she's a very intelligent, educated woman, feminist, and she's like, go woman president. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no. Hillary was not the woman president for go, us. Go um, warmonger. Yes, you know, exactly. I, I would never have voted for Hillary Clinton. I couldn't stand that stuff about, oh, you have to vote for her because she's a woman. Yeah, no, I'm fucked. a woman. And, uh, well, that means I, I've quite capable of making my own decision. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you. And Bernie Sanders was a much better option. Yeah. But, yeah. So okay, so take away Trump. So so any, well, most politicians are lying to us all the time, right? Right. No matter what side they're on. And, and yeah. we buy it. And we we buy believe it. them and we know they're lying. But do you think that this is a similar thing to sort of like abused uh, spouses or friendships that are toxic that you... In accepting the reality that the person is not does not have your best interest at heart, you have to question the entire structure, whether or not mm-hmm. the structure is for you, mm-hmm. whether or not the entire relationship is going to be useful to you. 
Because I think that's a little bit of the problem is sometimes we would rather not know the truth. because <laughs> yeah. About we, democracy in this case. Yeah. That it's a myth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that democracy mm-hmm. right now is does not have our best interests at heart. It, it never has. Mm. It, like democracy is a myth. People rule. Plato called it pig rule. <laughs> Yeah, like this is, and this is what happens when the people get a say in the, the vote. Of course, I'm not saying that we should remove people's ability to vote, <laughs> but we get at least the women, particularly <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah, particularly now with the internet. You know, it's become so easy to convince people um, that something that is untrue is true. Yes. Um, so Hillary Clinton apparently, what was that thing? She was involved in the child sex trade. Yeah, something something ridiculous. You you know, so so people feel powerful because they can can vote, but we actually have no power. Right. Um, Mm. So democracy is a ruse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it it is, it's it's like the money system. It's like all this Mm. stuff. It's a fantasy that we believe Mm. in that Mm -hmm. keeps us kind of running around on the rat wheel, which Mm. is fine, more or less. Mm. I mean, if that's like, we have, I, I suppose, with how many six billion people are we? Something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, we have got to organize ourselves into some kind of structure. Yeah. In some way. Oh, of course. Yeah. The structure we've got is certainly not the right one. No. The best one. But it may be the best we've ever had, let's say, even for argument's sake, if this is better than feudal Europe or whatever. Like this may be the safest and best we've ever been. Well, God, that, that's disappointing. It is disappointing. But it also <laughs> doesn't mean that that's not the best we can be. Right. And this is the frustrating argument that when I have this conversation with people, and particularly like my parents back home, that like, well, not this is a system we got, the two-party system is the best one we've ever had, you know. And I'm like, all right. Granted, if that is even the case, that it's the best system we've ever had, there's no better options. We cannot accept Mm, mm. that it's okay. I mean, even Marx admitted that um, liberalism was obviously better than feudalism. Right. right? The the, the idea of rights that emerge with liberalism for all, um, not just the aristocracy, the landed gentry, obviously is better. But I really agree with Marx on this point. Um, It... It can't deliver what it promises, equality for all. Why? Because it is a cult of the individual. Liberal societies, right, when you look, go back and look at Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, Rousseau, right, when they um, create their image of how civilization came about, what happened before was we were all at war with each other, mm. right, and we had to give up some freedoms to, to band together. This is called social contract theory. Uh, to agree to live together with each other. So we have to give up in Hobbes the right to murder each other mm-hmm. or the right to um, steal your stuff, right, in order to live peaceably. Yeah. So Marx said what kind of community is possible when the theory, right, that creates this ideology, liberal liberalism, um, is saying that humans are innately wanting to kill each other. Mm. that individuals Mm. are at war with each other. How do you actually... So liberalism promises community. This is why religion works well with liberalism. Look at America, right? Yep. Because it it too presents a sham community, according to Marx. Everyone's equal. Well, no, they're not. Look at the hierarchy in in religions. You know, um, women are right down the bottom in most kind of fundamentalist religions anyway. So so liberalism has has major problems... Um, that we're not addressing. We all just think we've gotten to the point where we where we have reached the apogee. This mm-hmm. was Francis Fukuyama, the apogee of um, uh, of of 
I guess, social and political organisation. Um, well, that's it's not good enough, actually. Right. It's not good enough and we aren't individuals at war with each other. Like we, we are born, we begin our life in the body of another. We're always in relation with others, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That's how mm. we, we emerge as subjects. Yeah. Um, uh, so the cult of the individual is is a real problem, I think, for all of the issues we've been been talking about. Uh, we just don't know what's next. We can't yeah. think it yet. We haven't um, gotten to the point where we can shift into a new epoch, like we did out, coming out of feudalism. You know, yeah. they couldn't imagine capitalism. Yeah, yeah, fuck that. Right or were. early mercantilism. Well, even. what's kind of interesting is that the internet has created. The antithesis of capitalism, in How? a way. How? That capitalism originally was a lot of power in the hands of a few who trickled down information and opportunity to others. With the internet, especially in the early days, it became like the Wild West again. Anybody can say anything, anywhere, anytime, and anyone can see it. Yeah. So obviously the people who have the internet have already got an advantage because they have the, you need to have a computer, you need to have access, access to yeah. it, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, it has created a web of connectivity and experience. It's disconnected experience. It's like free-based it's experience. Fake. <laughs> it's fake experience. Yeah. But I can have an experience where somebody in uh, South Africa right now can listen to this podcast. Yep. That's something that's created by a web of communication that otherwise never we could have could never in a million years have conceived. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what like uh, the guys that are doing stuff with cryptocurrencies are also trying to conceive a, of a new economic system that's mm-hmm. based on the same uh, basic foundation is that it's free, um, free, uncontrolled, uh, inaccessible web of currency, inaccessible web of information, inaccessible web of connection. If that's the case and it's not in the controlled hands of a few, possibly we would be leading more down the direction of a communal society because we have the more we do now more have more ability to talk to each other about stuff yeah. and have different uh, differing opinions, I guess. You know, like I'm not I don't have to sit down in front of my TV to get the nightly news to know what's going on. I can read 30 different articles on yeah. the same event and see, make up my own choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, the kind of, again, is this a, a, a genuine kind of um, equality of access? Mm. You, you know, um, because it seems that the, the, the haves are getting smaller and smaller, mm. as in a percentage, and they've get, they're getting more and more. Yeah, that is true. Um, you know, p- poverty is getting worse for the majority. You know, the, the middle class is getting poorer. Um, and the internet has that kind of the rise of the um, um, the billionaires, right? This is kind of coterminous, isn't it, with the internet? Oh, I see. So they, because they have more abstract ways of making money and because they initially had the access, they're actually getting – they're better off than the They're people. using it. And we're here we all. Yeah, I All see. the little okay. people, we think, oh, we've got this global community. We're all, you know, it's all lovely, lovely. Meanwhile, we're being shafted mm, by mm, um, mm. those in power and those with money, yeah. serious money. Um, you know, there are, our jobs are being taken from us mm. by um, technology. 
Yeah. And um, I mean, the, the fear of uh, the fear was there in the early twentieth century um, that with with um, automation, right? But the, it wasn't a genuine. Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't a real fear. It was a, a, the idea was that actually people would have more free time. You'd ha- because the machines would be doing all the work, but you have still have to pay people. Like you'd get more pay because you, you can make these. The machines can make stuff, but people have got to be able to buy it. Mm. Right, so as a worker, I do less, but I'm paid more. Okay, right, yeah, never came about. The capitalism has this amazing way of just still kind of of adjusting so that it can oh, fuck over yes. the most people. I, I fuck yeah, man. I worked at a um, clothing company for uh, about a year and a half, and it was ridiculous. Mm. The um, we would spend maximum three dollars on getting a pair of jeans made or a. Sh- yeah. T-shirt or whatever, mm-hmm. we would sell it for forty-five yeah, yeah. to a hundred dollars. Yeah, this is unethical. Uh, Sri Lankan, uh, you know, Ridiculous. women. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it, it's like, and that if they didn't haggle that price down to four dollars twenty and brought it down under three dollars, we weren't allowed to go ahead with the product. And who's making the fucking money here? Yeah, well, it, then, it's not you working in the shop. It's not the woman usually mm, who made it. No, she would get probably five. Ten cents and, per and, But that, it's like mind blowing yeah, that a thing could cost four dollars and could be sold for seventy five. Yeah, like I just, it, it's almost excruciating to understand. Oh, it's embarrassing too because you win everything we're wearing. Yeah, is yeah. you know you can't avoid it. This is it's very very difficult to be ethical today. Yeah, in terms of these things because you think is. oh. My daughter is all over this. She oh, So cool. she works at a shop called Biome. I think they've just opened up down here. It's an em- environmental oh, yeah. shop. Um, so she she loves it and researches everything and, you know, they will only stock clothes that are, that achieve a certain rating or above when it comes to ethics. Um, and nothing. They won't sell anything with palm oil, you know, all of that sort yeah. of stuff. So I, I learn about all this stuff from my 22-year-old. Like, But it is really interesting. I mean, like the thinking about it from a psychological perspective that, like, you have this $4, say, mark, whatever, that's your budget and that's you doing your job well. Mm-hmm. They, it becomes a, uh arbitration. You know, mm-hmm. it's now an arbitrary goal. Your goal is related to the lines and numbers and uh, items and not related to the person the, the person at all. No. So we, the bigger the company gets, the more disassociation there is, so it's easier to do unethical things. But I think what's interesting about it is that Nobody's seeing the difference between four dollars twenty for a pair of shorts and three dollars. Nobody, like on the immediate front, is seeing any of that. So we won't know. We don't know what gains that makes the person in the top chair or makes the shareholders or whatever. Right. So you have Mm. no. um, There is no visceral connection to your actions in that environment. You're just a fucking cog in a wheel. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever read Kafka? Yeah. I mean, Kafka saw this amazingly. You know, at the beginning of the 20th century, the, the bureaucracy that everybody, when you get a highly bureaucratic society, it is so depersonalised. Yeah. You know, you, it's hard to relate to another human as a human because you you see them as it, it, through terms like bottom do, bottom line, et cetera, you know, money, value, yeah. value that is um, only understood in dollars yeah. and cents, not anything else. And it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. But then on the other hand, this is the argument, um, if you don't buy it, they don't have jobs. Right. Okay. Well, so. and, and 
But this is my question. Like, I kind of like the idealistic view that you were kind of originally alluding to that, like, if automation came in and then people would have more time, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I see a, I, this is my, my perfect world. This is what I imagine. Universal basic income mm-hmm. that can take care of pe- people's essential basic needs just yeah. so that they don't feel, they're not, don't end up sleeping rough or, mm-hmm selling drugs or doing whatever. Um, So universal basic income with major education programs on self-development, self-awareness, meditation type of shit, Um, and not religious meditation, but I mean more self-reflective stuff Mm -hmm. that help people uh, in that time find meaning. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we go universal basic income, but don't uh, deal with the meaning crisis, we're fucked. Oh, yeah, no. Imagine what... uh, It'd just be like the dole... All the dole, all day drugs. Because <laughs> yeah. what else are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I know. I know what I'd be doing, and you know what you'd be doing. But people who have jobs now that they hate, what are they going to do? Because they they probably lost a lot of themselves in that job. Yes, it's de. It's it really attacks your soul. You know, it those devalues kind of, you as a person, right? Absolutely. Whereas my kind of self and my job mm. are so intertwined. What I, you know, I will always be a thinker yeah. and a writer. Um, it's just who I am. I'll do it until I snuff it, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but for the majority of people, this is such a privilege, right, What I'm, how I'm describing myself. It is such a I am so privileged that I have been able to get a job that is so meaningfully to me, meaningful to me and so in tune with who I am. Mm. Um, most people don't get that chance. It's just put food on the table, right. So they have yes. to find their passions again. Um, imagine the divorce though, if everyone's staying at home, like divorce is bad enough. Mm. Imagine if the husbands and wives well, who I'm, get to have time away from each other by going to work are stuck with each other. Yeah. Oh. But I think what, uh, <laughs> this is also an unpopular <laughs> <laughs> argument, but, um, I would argue that the more people that there are doing things that matter to them and have their own meaning, they would have less reliance on the person that's in their household with them, on their them depending on them for happiness. Absolutely, yeah, but you've got to get to that point. I mean, imagine right. what, what if you're two people who've just been slaughtered by, you know, the, the, the man, the yeah. work workforce, and then you'd find, you're, you know, you're going to have a great first year. Yeah. Probably, um, you know, if you've got enough money to go to the beach, whatever, enjoy yourself. And then after a year, that's not enough for most people. Like we have it to isn't, have. And, and it always, it always yeah. runs out, you mm, know, like you mm. can only spend so much time. My friend was saying this to me yesterday, like you can only spend so much time drinking margaritas on the beach until you want to kill yourself. Like exactly. you've got to do something it's else. It's longer for some of us than it is for others. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's only so much time, time you can spend shopping to, yeah. you know. And that's the thing. It's, it's like. If there's a universal basic income and we eliminate this uh, capitalistic force of constant purchasing, mm. so basically we mm. say, you don't have a job anymore, but we'll pay for your basic needs. Mm. You can't buy all the shit that you think you need. Mm. Sorry. Nobody mm. else is producing the shit that you need anyway. Are you going to let them take your phone? Yes. I, with a caveat. This? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with a caveat. I will... Uh, I think I would accept one phone or one method of communication 
that was going to stick with me for five years at a time that I had to work for to save to get the next one because it had to die because it just atrophied over time, mm-hmm. right? But what I struggle with right now is that I know all of our technology is built to fail within a year. Oh, I know. But like you- we are, it's designed to do that. But I, I like the, the gadgets and the things that I can work on so that I can create things. Yeah, okay. But I'm willing to have a trade-off for one of those things if I can still continue to communicate. Sure. But did you, as an adult, ever have time without a phone? When did you get your first mobile phone? Um, mm, that's a good question. Uh, I had my... F- in high school or...? Yeah, I'd say it was my last year of high school. Okay, I so had my brother's old You phone. haven't... Like, like my yeah. generation, we didn't have mobile phones. Yeah. You know, and my daughter just cannot believe it. Like, I, I leave the house all the time without it. I, you know, and I just go, oh, oh, well, no one can contact me. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, and she will say, Mum, I've been trying to ring you. I was like, tough luck. Yeah. What, what's wrong? Oh, I needed to know what to buy at the shops. Oh, get over yourself. Yeah, right? That, they, they expect to, the, the ease of access to each other has just gotten so bad in my opinion. It is. It's exhausting. Um, I was just talking about this is last week's podcast. I was just ranting stressful. about it. It's You is. know, the ease of access. I mean, I know the French have um, made it a law that you cannot contact someone out from work, uh, about work, outside of work hours. Oh, so wow. no emails. Yeah, it's illegal. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Good on them. Um, because <laughs> people are constantly accessible. Yeah. And this means your work can access you, yeah. right? And we've, we all do it. We access our emails all the time. Put it away. You, you know, we've, we've forgotten my generation. Well, you've never known, but we've forgotten that we lived without this stuff yeah. For I used to read a lot more books than I read now. Yeah. Um, I watch way too much YouTube. God bless it. <laughs> and I watch Netflix. You know, I'm, I'm working my way through Parks and Recreation again because I'm <laughs> doing a trivia night. So, so you know, I, my whole life has changed because of this stuff. But we mm. used to go out and, and Lillian will say to me, How, what would happen if someone couldn't, like, the, if they said, I'm going to be late? I said, you sat and you waited. Yeah. And you might, you know, if, if, if it was once or twice with one friend, you didn't care. She said, what do you mean? Why, what do you mean you waited? <laughs> it's like you sat down and you waited for them to turn up. What if they never turned up? Then you went home. Yeah. It's a no. You know, we used to go overseas without phones. You know, and now it's just, you, oh, it's so much easier, of course. I'm, I'm not putting down the phones, but yeah. you can live without a phone. Yeah. And, I, yeah, fuck, man. I know because what bothers me, I think, um, is that in order to, like right now, if, if I don't answer my phone, I may miss clients or miss gigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. have to you be, need it. Yeah. it's like has to be near me and, mm. and, most frustrating is that everything takes place on the internet. So, like, mm-hmm. what I actually do appreciate that Messenger has now separated from Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Because it bothers me that I have to go, if I need to see an Instagram message, I have to go into Instagram. And while I'm sitting waiting for a response or whatever, I have to be sitting there waiting. And so Instagram is open on my phone and it's just wasting my life. Oh, I see. You, you get what I mean? Like, I would rather uh, do just... you get that many contacts? No, not 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 really. I... I have people contacting me about the podcast and stuff, which is nice. Mm, and that's mm. one thing that I can appreciate about it. But the same thing, it's like I'm available 24-7 on mm-hmm. the internet. Mm-hmm. So I put 
on my Facebook, I have a little like automatic reply that just says, I don't turn my notifications on for Facebook. So if you sent me a message here, I'm not going to see it straight away. Don't think I'm ignoring you. I really appreciate that you listen to the podcast. I really appreciate you talking to me. But it's true. But I will get back to you when I am here. Yeah. And because it is, that's too much of an expectation that people are like, oh, I need it. And it's like... Mm, mm. I never want to, somebody who enjoys the podcast and has something to say to me, I never want to ignore them. But fuck, man, I have to have a life. Yes. You know? And of we, course. And it seems, that's almost selfish at this point to like I be know, unavailable. But it's not. It's, like, it's fuck that. I, 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 one of my current projects is um, a rethinking of the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath mm. as a, a cessation, a stopping and I have a friend who, who um, she um, insists on a technology Sabbath once a week, mainly because of her husband, not her children. Her husband is constantly on And it's on lonely. It's lonely when you're with somebody who is staring at their fucking phone. I could smash my phone into their head when they do it. Like it I is, just, it's so insulting. Ah, oh man. It feels to me like being with somebody who is like deep into drugs. Right. That's how I feel. Like when I was growing so up. So detached from yeah, yeah, what's happening. Just completely detached mm. and they are not remotely interested in connecting. Well, they are you. addicted. Yeah. Generally. They, they, it's an addiction. You mm. know, you look around. I, I, only, I gave up smoking in January, so I've been a terrible smoker all my life. Oh, wow. I bloody love it. But anyway, <laughs> it's gotten too expensive. And I, so I'd, you know, once an hour go down from my office and just sit there and smoke my ciggy and just stare out into space. And I worked out years ago. You hardly ever see anyone doing that anymore, just sitting staring. Mm. Everybody feels the need to look at their phones and it's so boring. I mean, I'm on Facebook and God bless my friends. I love you. (laughs) But, you know, it's not exciting. It's like you look like a maniac if you're sitting there not staring at your phone. Like I start feeling awkward because I ride public transport up to Brisbane and back most Mm -hmm. of the time. It's a good way for me to be able to write on the way and I love that I have nothing to do yeah, for yeah, an hour yeah. before I have to do a show and back. Mm-hmm. And so I I really fucking love it, yeah, this, yeah. like, time of just mm-hmm. sitting. And it is crazy how you go to a train station or, like, look around the train or see other people waiting and have 50 people standing there, every single I one know. of them is looking at their phone. And it, it's just... It can't be that interesting. It just can't be, like, you but, know... Uh, they're just addicted to it. I, when I was in um, Scotland, I was at St Andrews and I had to get the train down to London. Beautiful train ride, you know, at first along the coast. Mm. And I am gifted with the ability to stare out a window for hours. I <laughs> yeah. just can do it. I suppose I'm in the right job, Brian. I just, you know, I, I go into my own space. I think about things. But I can also notice what's going I saw this girl and she filmed the whole trip on her iPad. So she was looking through her oh, yeah, iPad, yeah. not looking out the window. Oh, God. She had her iPad up filming what was outside the window and she was looking through the iPad. Yes, that is... That is like... That is literally the arbitration of experience, it, it, isn't it? You're putting... You are putting a, f- a filter between yourself and your own experience constantly. It, it's, but I think for a certain generation, even younger than you, you're not experiencing it if you're not looking at it through a screen. This is what it's come to, mm. right? Re- reality is in that screen, yeah. not actually out the window. And, yeah, do people think you're weird when you sit there staring out the window, do they? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like Good. It, it, so you feel, un, you, you feel <laughs> almost, like, awkward. Like no, it's, I don't. It becomes this, like, confusing thing that I should be doing something with my hands. And obviously I don't. I 
I, and I have a handwritten, like a journal that I write my ideas out on. Mm-hmm. I write them here on, like when yeah, I'm yeah. working out the jokes, I write them here. But on my way to gigs, I handwrite, physically mm-hmm. handwrite stuff. And there's something nice about that, just like the visceral, tangible. Oh, I know, yeah. Um, touching, the smell of the paper, all of but that lots stuff. Lots of handwriting as a skill is a sad thing. I mean, I used to have, I used to have be asked to do the handwriting. Oh, wow. From, when, in my primary school, because I had really nice handwriting. Now it's awful. I can barely read. Like it's just scribble. I feel like my hand, I've lost muscles or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, just, we just don't use it anymore. Yeah. It's, I would love to actually do um, calligraphy to go back and just get, you know, learn mm. how to do because it it slows you down. Yes. You know, you just, would like a, 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 my, she was my philosophy um, uh, supervisor actually, Michelle Bullis-Walker up in Brisbane. Oh, cool. She has a book that came out last year I think called Slow Philosophy. So she's, you know, the slow movements, right, slow food and all of that. But the idea of slowness in thinking, in reading, in rereading, in writing, that we're seeming, we're losing because of the speed of the world we live in. Yeah, and everything Mm. is so easily accessible. I know, I, I mean, I'm in a situation right now where it's like so many things are happening all at once that are lovely and wonderful and everything's exciting and it feels good and I mm-hmm. want more of it and mm-hmm. I have to keep reminding myself like go Pace slow yourself, yeah. take your time I relax know, yeah. enjoy mm. every little piece mm-hmm. because it's too easy like there's just too much I had to tell myself this the other day I had to like lay down in my bed I couldn't focus my thoughts were just going a million miles an hour all this exciting stuff's happening in my life and I was like go and lay down and just feel it mm. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have to do something about it, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I need that now. I, don't, I better mm, do right, that because this right. is all happening. Mm. And I was like, actually, go there. And I gave myself a half an hour where I just laid there and just, and not even thinking about anything in particular, felt what my heart felt like, felt what my body felt right, like. Right, right. Yeah. Because I was like... But you live so close to the beach. If I would, like, you yes. should take yourself to the beach and just sit there. That is the one place where you do see people... Staring out to the horizon. Yeah, that's a great um, point. Rather than being on their phones. There's an, another great quote um, from Milan Kundera, the um, Czech, Czech <gasps> He's writer. He's my favourite writer of all time. He's, and I, I wonder if we've even lost, if we even understand what he's talking about. Because he said, you know, to, to sit on a hill with a dog is to be back in Eden. Like it's paradise. To just sit on a hill with a dog. And you do see people sitting on the beach with their dog, right? I think it's lovely. But where else do you see that? Like people just sitting, being, mm-hmm. not um maniacally connecting with others which is not really connecting right. at all it's free basing connection oh it's just it's fake it's just all fake and you know no wonder we're all so miserable mm-hmm. um but to go and just sit at the beach and just stare and and you know it's, it's the most beautiful place in the world as far as i'm concerned the beach yeah yeah you, you know it's, it's the air is salty and and there's always a breeze you know and the water it's just magic rather than lying in a bedroom that's why if i were you that's what I do. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know, but when you're you live right. close to it. <laughs> you, you're 100% right. I'm going to argue with you anyway because I can't help myself. You are right. Um, I think for me, I guess in those moments, it's like I want to go into my body as much as possible. And I feel like because I still care too much about what other people would think, I can't sit at the beach and be inside my body. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I would struggle yeah, with you that. you got to let go of that one. I do. Yeah, so many life. things I have to like. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and who who were they anyway? Who were you so scared of? The num- did, numpties you know, on the beach. Yeah, it's just that I don't know. I I think. What I'm do you think they're going to think of you? I 
nothing really. It's more that I, um, I find, I guess, of most solace in my own company. Yeah. Do you know, like, if there is no one anywhere, any... I know what you mean. If I'm completely in my own little sanctuary, mm-hmm. then I can be gone for mm-hmm. as long as I feel like being gone for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have to worry about anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to worry about a noise or a ball getting thrown near me or a dog walking past me. All those things are really nice, but when I'm in that mode, I want to be somewhere else. Right. Maybe It's um, almost like I leave my body in a safe place while I go explore. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Maybe in the inter, like in between, like that moment of feeling, I can't, you know, I want it now, I want it now. Because to get outside in nature is... Yeah, you're totally You know, you can't... And maybe that would slow you down and Mm. then you could retreat into yourself. Mm, mm. Um, So you don't need to go from crazy to, you know, um, whatever, you know, solace. And that, because that can be a, a... Trouble. Shock. You can, well, and you can go in there and just start fucking getting yeah, lost you mind, in your yeah, own yeah, definitely. creepy thoughts. Yeah, I know. I um, know. My God, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Oh dear. How fast did that go? <laughs> that is fast. Um, you're this is you're as good at talking as I am. I could talk for hours. I know it's stupid, isn't mm, it? I, I know. No, I can never stop myself. Interesting though. It was so nice talking to you. You yeah, are such thank an you interesting for inviting person. me on. Yeah. Did you say my name? No, I didn't, but we will at the start and I will at the end. Okay. So people know who you are. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I, I, I couldn't care if you didn't, actually. <laughs> um, the no self. And so you are teaching. What are the subjects you're teaching now at Bond? I, so I am a senior lecturer in philosophy and literature. I teach philosophy of religion. I used to teach philosophy, sexuality and the embodied self, um, mm. but that, they didn't get enough numbers for that one. Uh, I teach... Great narrative literature, the bi- the Bible subject, yeah. and Australian literature. Cool. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. And um, and pretty much only people that can listen to you lecture are students at Bond University, and that's it. Yeah. Have you written books that yeah. are out in the world? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. If they go to my um, Bond on the Bond website, there has uh, research profiles, and oh, so cool. you can actually access some of my writings yeah. online. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mm. Well, that it was so fun talking to you. I yeah. I feel like we should do this again. I you, what I would like to do is I think come up with a single topic and let you help me flesh out the idea. Sure. Because you were I got such a good way of thinking about stuff and you know drilling down into ideas. <laughs> That's what I need. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, for thanks coming. for having me. It was really enjoyable. That was Julie Kelso. If you'd like to know anything more about her, she is a professor at Bond University on the Gold Coast, and she has written a book called Oh Mother, Where Art Thou? Uh, that you can find on the internet. Thank you for listening. As always, have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next week.